GovCon Secrets Podcast, we take a deep dive into the government contracting space, where you'll hear from a variety of expert guests on strategy, pricing, benefits, business tactics, and all this to save you a ton of money, time, energy, and effort. I'm your host, Jim Campbell, former Marine and CEO of Axum Fringe Solutions Group. My goal is to redefine the benefits world with a brutally honest view of how benefits, compliance, finance, and overall contracting strategy mixed with my years of experience and expertise can it benefit you to deploy strategies to help your GovCon grow and win in the future, all the while without boring you to death. We're going to have fun. Let's start the show. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Uh, thanks for joining today. We have a new episode of GovCon Secrets. Today's a good one. Uh, we have the ladies from GovMate, GovMates, sorry, uh, Stephanie Alexander and Katie Bilek, uh here to talk to us about what's going on in GovCon do's and don'ts, some things they're seeing, and uh, they've been doing it a long time, so it should be interesting. Uh, we go back a ways, so uh, this is going to be a no-holds-barred podcast, uh, and I'm sure some favorable language will be shared. But, um, you know, this one is going to be exciting, and if you're in the GovCon space, you want to pay attention because the landscape's changing, and these ladies are part of the reason that it's changing quickly. So, with that being said, I'm going to introduce Stephanie and Katie, and you guys can uh, give a little bit of background about GovMates, and then uh, we'll get into kind of our background, how we know each other, why we're doing this, and then uh, just have a free-for-all. So, Stephanie, take it away. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having us, Jim. Um, it's always lovely to see you, as usual, <laughs> which just means that prepare. Uh, no. So I am the co-founder of GovMates with my colleague here, Katie. And we started GovMates, Katie, how long ago? It's been forever, but yet six, six years. years. Six years ago. So in federal contracting, I feel like that's at least three lifetimes um, and several cycles, if you will. Um, and we started because we really felt passionately about helping the small business community in the federal contracting space. Katie, do you want to introduce yourself and give a little bit of background on GovMates and then we can kind of go from there? Sure. Yeah. So um, GovMates, we are a teaming partner and technology scouting platform for federal contractors. Uh, it's a cloud-based platform that we launched six years ago. Um, and we kind of joke about being like a match.com for GovCon, but frankly, that's not a bad analogy. Are we recording that part? Because the attorneys could sue us for that. <laughs> exactly. Maybe us. just, you know, ask, yeah. hashtag don't sue us, please. Thank you. Yeah, no, we can take it out. We can take it out. It's no problem. You can look anything you want to say, you can so, say, and we can have it cut out. Sure. Um, I think we can keep that in. It. It's okay. Um, but our purpose with GovMates was to help increase the visibility of small businesses and non-traditionals for teaming and procurement opportunities in the federal space. We wanted to take a more formulaic and methodical approach to connecting people as opposed to folks just kind of relying on their Rolodex and, oh, who do I know? Um, instead, taking a very disciplined approach to identifying capabilities and customer past performance and socioeconomic set-asides, all that kind of stuff, and combining that together results in a much more targeted and, quite, quite frankly, a more efficient way of connecting people. So today we have over 5,000 members in the GovMates ecosystem. We facilitated over 32,000 matches and I think nearly 8,000 introductions all in support of federal contracting opportunities. And that's huge because small businesses never get that look. Like you said, it's who's in my Rolodex, what small business may have they might have they gone to, and it never works out, right? So uh, what are some of the successes that you guys have seen in those 8,000 connections? You know, have you had any analytics come back about the success stories of these companies partnering together? 
Great question. So anecdotally, we have a lot of success stories where small businesses, I would say typically it's small businesses, have teamed with insert large systems integrator or defense prime. Um, they are now on multiple subcontracts supporting federal programs. Um, we've also had scenarios where it's flipped, right? Where um, a larger organization may need a small business with a socioeconomic set aside to prime an opportunity. Um, we've had multiple um, scenarios like that across DOD as well as civilian agencies where a, a small and large partnered and then went off went after and won an opportunity based upon the, the connections we facilitated. Um, we've also hosted, we for our government customers, we host in-person matchmaking sessions where as opposed to kind of virtual connections, it's literally, you know, kind of one-on-one one -on -one business speed dating sessions. Um, and out of those, we've actually had folks walk away to go sign NDAs, work on teaming agreements, and start literally targeting actively um, procurements um, that are on the horizon. Um, so anecdotally, we have a lot of great success stories from our members. So Stephanie, you haven't gone and tried to quantify how you're getting a break of all these connections that you're making yet? Sadly, no. So <laughs> let me tell you the truth about GovCon. It takes freaking forever, right? True. And everybody cycles through like 14 different business development professionals. So no one actually can really calibrate and say, okay, I remember that I was introduced to this system integrator three years ago, and that we started our teaming strategy and our capture strategy, and then we did, and we had so many meetings, and we did all the things, and then the pre-RFP came out, and then questions and answers, and then the initial, initial protest came out, and then it got pushed, and then it did this. You know, so this is our life that we live in. <laughs> So unfortunately, and I know that sounds like doomsday scenario, but it's very common in our world, right? So we we don't get the immediate gratification of, hey, I introduced you and today you signed a teaming agreement and tomorrow you had billable revenue flowing. It, it It's a process. We all know this. And I think we all are like, it's 18 to 24 months. And we're like, actually, it's a lifetime. So it really depends on, you know, kind of where you sit in the ecosystem. We've seen procurements come out and people have teamed like almost immediately. It also depends on like when they call us. So we have large guys that call and they're like, hey, we're doing capture strategy for five years out, right? Like they have a they have long-term intentions. They're also kind of hunting around for who's interesting, who's doing cool stuff that we may want to buy, right? The MA community has been hot over three years. So we've got those long, long-term things. And then we've got, oh God, red team just fell apart somebody's not, you know, it just blew to hell. And, you know, somebody's not certified as whatever they said they were, or we can't get the rates to meet, or, you know, something went sideways. And so I need somebody on a team literally tomorrow. I'm going to stick their name in there and we're going to call it good because we got to, this thing's due in two days. Yeah. So we get the gauntlet from all areas. And then we can actually get people in execution. Those are the ones we love, right? Because we're like, oh, you actually have... You have a contract, you have a paying customer, and you have revenue flow, and you just need some support from somebody else? That's right. All day. All day. We'll take that. So it just depends. I think that's why I thought this was going to be such a great show is because both of you have seen it, done it, touched it a thousand times. So uh, we'll go into a little bit of backstory here. So if you want to give your backstory where you came from, why you got together and did GovMates, um, our connection is hilarious if i think about it now right it's over a decade believe it or not oh my god um, you're aging us yeah stop it i'm still young and youthful well neither of you look any different i look older than hell but um you know it's it's hilarious because uh you know as a small business in the govcon space and you have a solution you try to move that solution but so is everybody else right it's a million miles a minute 
everybody's got a solution. And then what you ladies have done from not only Stephanie Boost and then Katie, your past in you know the finance world, you found the niche because all of these small businesses have the same problem, but then all the large entities have varying problems, right? It's like a tidal wave that a large company or a large prime would, like you said, five-year strategy. What small company can last for five years or project for five years, right? But they might have capabilities that can feed that need right now. So it's fascinating how you got to boost from boost into GovMates or Katie, you're passed into GovMates. Um, so why don't you give a background about what made you guys really get together for GovMates? We were suckered into volunteering on a veteran board, right? And I think that's actually, Katie, that's where we first met. And Jim, I believe that's where we first met. That's where we first met. And it does seem like 15 lifetimes ago and a lot of, a lot has happened. Yep. And Katie and I served on the board. Um, and quite frankly, we kept getting asked, I mean, SDVOSB, um, that does X, Y, and Z, right? And so Katie's a nerd and I'm a nerd and we like Excel. So we started capturing everything in Excel. And we literally, I remember Katie, I don't know if you remember this, but we'd like sit down with business owners and be like, okay, tell me your capabilities. And we would literally sit there and type them into Excel. And after a certain amount of time, you're like, okay, this is not sustainable. This is not scalable. And I'm spending all weekend taking these Excel results and putting them into PDFs and, you know, to provide and all this other stuff. And I'm like, oh, by the way, still hustling like a real job that pays my mortgage. And this is just kind of like a passion project for us. So we decided, okay, passion project it is, but let's invest. Uh, there's technology out there. So we actually built our own platform. So we told the software, we had the vision for it. We told the software engineers what we wanted. And we're like, and this has all been homegrown from us. Um, it's not a COTS product. It's not something that we, you know, we don't scrape anything off the internet. We don't do any of those types of things. We know exactly what the community needs in the federal marketing space for teaming opportunities. And that's what we built. And here we are, fast forward six, seven years later, forever. And um, I mean, our metrics speak for themselves, right? As Katie mentioned, like we actually, we we did the thing. And we've expanded well beyond just SDBOSBs, although that's always our, you know, always our heart. Um, but we've gone, you know, we've got every socioeconomic, small businesses, large businesses, um, laboratories, education facilities. I mean, you know, so it's really kind of grown and matured. And we've definitely learned a lot of life lessons along the way, um, but I think we're passionate about helping people within the federal contracting community. We want to see the system integrators be better, do better, have better subs, and we want to help the small guys. We actually want to help the government solve its problems, and that sounds really stupid, naive, and Pollyanna, but it's true. Um, and we wouldn't have done it, you know, kind of as a passion project that has turned into a full-time, like, real, real company um, if we didn't mean that. Um, so I think you start with a problem, you try and solve it. And, you know, Katie and I will tell you, we had no idea where it was going to go when we first started, but that's kind of the beauty of like solving a problem and then just solving the next problem and anticipating what's coming in the market. Yeah. And I mean, Katie, you were touching this from financing, right? So you were seeing the problem exist, just people trying to afford to do their contracts. So, I mean, from a finance side and your contacts, uh, did you see a big need for this, um, not only from the small side, but the partnerships with the, from the big side um, really be applicable here? Absolutely. I mean, by virtue of our day jobs, both Stephanie and I, we were e 
we eat, breathe, sleep, GovCon. So we interfaced with a lot of small businesses um, on top of serving on the board of this veterans organization. So um, yeah, constantly talking to smalls where um, they might've been pursuing opportunities where they had gaps on their own teams or on the flip side, they would talk about the large SIs or primes that they've teamed with and gaps that still existed on those teams. So it, it, it was a recurring theme that we came across over and over, coupled with the fact that the, you know, the Boeings and Raytheons of the world would call us seeking out teaming partners. Um, so, yeah, I would say just by virtue of where we have sat in the ecosystem over the last decade, we were privileged to seeing a lot of different transactions um, and a lot of different contracts and, you know, organizations that are pursuing work in the federal space. So um, it was kind of the perfect storm for us to to build and, and create GovMates. Um, and I would say we believe very strongly in the model of um, proactively collecting data from our members through their profiles versus scraping um, from the internet, right? So we're not trying to compete with the typical kind of, I guess you would call it the market research platforms of the world, you know, the Dell Tech GovWins, those serve a, a place in the market. Um, but the data that they would have on specific companies that would be most relevant from a teaming perspective um, is fairly basic. The data that we are collecting on our members is arguably more granular. Um, we have more information on them. We're not just capturing prime, but we're also capturing subcontract and commercial um, past performance. Um, and we can also capture a lot more as it pertains to their capabilities um, and their work and past performance. So that's what really matters when it comes to teaming and finding subcontractors and vendors and partners. So uh, as Stephanie mentioned, we built the platform ourselves based upon what we viewed as the need um, as a, an actual matchmaker in the space. What is most relevant, right? Um, and that's how we decided to build the platform and why it has been so successful and actually worked. And you spend enough time at Corner Bakery, Tyson's, to in every meeting around the Beltway to figure it out as well. So, also I'm, I'm, true. I'm, also true. I've said it for years. <laughs> I don't know how in the hell you guys do it. I don't know how you do it. I mean, Katie, you're a mom and you still have a day job, and you guys go to every meeting in the Beltway. I don't know how you do it. Like, I don't show up to any place ever. I don't <laughs> do shit. And now the fact that the pandemic hit, you could do it from Teams or whatever. I'm like. Yes. So I, I just don't know how you do it, but it you've put your time in, that's for sure. Well, it's nice to now be full-time in GovMates yeah. um, and to be able to devote, you know, all of our energy and 110% of our time to it and, and building it. And brain power. Yeah. And uh, pandemic didn't hurt in terms of the ability to take on more virtual meetings and stuff like that. But I mean, we also love seeing our GovMates. We love seeing people in person. When we do matchmaking, we had to pivot. Um, when we were doing matchmaking for conferences, I think, Katie, we had seven or eight in twenty in February of 2020, right? Every single conference got shut down within like mm -hmm. 30 seconds. So we, you know, did what everybody else did. And we discovered a way and added a virtual component. We still can hold virtual matchmaking conferences and sessions, but we still prefer to see people. Um, so ultimately, we want to hear the buzz. We want to see the folks. We want to see what's going on in in, um, in our world. And so we do both, but we like seeing people too. Well, and let's be honest, you love seeing people and telling them where they're wrong. <laughs> so, just you. Just you. Yeah, just, actually, you. I'll take that. It's probably just me. <laughs> but, um, you know, 
you know, I think that leads into a good next segue here of what's going on in GovCon now that's different from pre-pandemic, right? Um, and since you touch it every single day, I can tell you yeah. from my side, it's just the amount of enforcement and the DOL and the, the like the nitpicking and the lack of leadership and all these things have created this perfect storm and they only attack small business, right? So we've seen a lot of our small business partners, clients, you know, across the country, prospects, they've had to completely pivot how they were doing business, how they're offering benefits, you know, in this war on talent, all these other things, but they're actually changing the way they're going after contracts now. They're actually creating a true go, no go strategy. They're growing up quite a bit that we've seen, um, especially on the small side, on the medium side, they're just trying to stay alive. But I don't know, what have you ladies seen in the market might've been uh, different than pre-pandemic? Katie, I think where I start from is a place of yuck and then a place of goodness. So the yuck is the, and, and yuck, it's it's warranted, it's needed, but none of us wants to deal with it, but yet we need to. All of the cybersecurity compliance, right? So now that we're all sitting at home, who the heck's on your network? Where did your shit come from and what's going on, right? So we're seeing the government start to put more teeth into it and be more serious about it. And we're actually seeing small business you know, we don't want to spend money unless we absolutely have to. But I think those that are in this space are recognizing, yeah, we got we to gotta get our act together. It's time to clean up. It's time to grow up, to your point. And I think that that eventually will be a welcome change. Um, but I think it's going to take a couple people on the front page of the Washington Post to make an example of them. Um, and I think that, you know, small businesses are starting to take it more seriously. But there's definitely some jokers still out there that hopefully will be flushed out. Um, Because that's what should happen, right? Like if you're not taking it seriously, if you're trying to skate by, um, that's not good for anyone. On the more positive side, I think that quite frankly, the government is more open to the idea of virtual. They're they're sourcing nationally, not just like the people that they met at the one event at the you know thing locally in the DC metro area. So I think it's opened opportunities for people who wouldn't normally have them. Like if you don't live within 30 minutes of the DC metro area, you're not part of the cool GovCon team, right? And and that's no longer the case. Like I think it's good that we're doing that. I think it's good that the government and large system integrators are discovering companies that they wouldn't discover before. They're way more open to getting on a Zoom call. They're way more open to like having that conversation, not having to be physically in person with those people. And I think that only oper- only opens opportunities, especially for disadvantage, right? So all of my my women own, my hub zones, my eight age, all of that, I want to say, I'm here for it. Let's open more opportunities for these types of socioeconomic businesses. Do it do all the things, right? So whatever helps that, I think is a positive move forward. That's a good point. I also think the government's starting to think about small business and putting maybe hopefully some teeth into actually like, hey, we should meet our small business goals and we're here for it all day. Um, I just, I want to see more. I always believe that we can always be subcontracting and, 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 and contracting directly to more small businesses. That's huge. No, that's, that's really big. Like real quick, I, I didn't even think about that, that the small businesses, they can't attend the conferences all the time. They don't have the budgets to get to wherever they needed to be face to face because it was like that good old boy network. Like, hey, I know you from so and so. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. I didn't even think about that. It's, uh, and it's it's huge because you're right. The small business market is always negatively impacted by that. They're consigned, confined by budgets. 
And I think it opened it up, right? And so I think that's good. I mean, going to a small business conference is a lot of overhead. I mean, that's Ton. a lot of, you know, time away from the office. Got to do this, got to do that. And so I think that that's awesome. I also think that being able to hire people virtually has opened up possibilities for folks. They're able to, you know, hire folks. Doesn't work in the IC, as we know, but like we're opening some doors that I don't think would have been opened anytime soon. This has forced them to be open. And I think that that will reflect positively. And Katie, I'm sorry, I cut you off. You were going to say something. No, I would echo what you both said. Basically the, the, the normalization of virtual engagement is, is huge. Um, and having seen that now in supporting government customers in various geographic places where they've been able to engage with small businesses and non-traditionals literally in all corners of the U.S., um, that is a game changer. And it's, it's really allowing those small businesses to gain access to something that they never would have been able to, to touch before. So we are grateful for that. The other thing that I think we've seen with the pandemic is really an emphasis on supply chain and supply chain security. Um, And we very much, everyone on this call, right, we all understand where that stems from. Um, But the downside to that is that once you really start to squeeze the those small businesses and those vendors and suppliers who may not have all the resources to kind of beef up their own internal controls, you're basically squeezing them out of the federal market. And don't get me wrong, again, understand understand the rationale behind that. But my biggest concern, you know, five years out plus is what are we going to do about our, you know, defense industrial base and all of the organizations that are supporting the federal government, what is that going to look like down the road if we're continuing to impose these new rules, regulations, roadblocks? Uh, and again, I, I, I'm not questioning why we're putting those in place. I'm just saying let's, let's, let's approach this from a more collaborative aspect and find ways that that industry can play nicely with government in a way that doesn't completely wipe out one one sector uh, of industry, which is typically those that are not well resourced, i.e., small businesses. That's right. That's right. And and you know that brings up a really good point as well because these small businesses they are tapped financially. Whether it's even they get a contract and they can find a line of credit or whatever it is, they're maxed out, right? So then the continued travel, then the continued requirements for cybersecurity and all these extra expenses has further removed them from being on the pulse. So I think it's important to realize that because of the uh, ability to change and be remote and be virtual, they can attend some of these conferences, they can attend some of these live sessions and not take a further financial hit, but now they can use GovMates, right? And they can find people, you can help them vet where they're strong, maybe where they're not strong and find partners they otherwise might not have been able to ever touch. Either picking up the phone, doing cold calls, going to conferences, losing money on the conference. Um, it's a it's a massive, massive win for small businesses because the large guys are always going to have resources, right? They'll find whoever they want to yeah. find. Um, but the small to mid-sized business, what we found, especially those that are graduating 8A, we found that now there's a massive dearth. They lose resources. They have to go to full and open competition they never had to worry about who their partners were. It was like friends and family, right? And like, hey, I have a buddy who's also a small business and we'll give them some business. They're coming out of the woodwork now saying, what do we do? How do we win new business? 
who do we go to with our capabilities to get on this contract? No, by the way, we're $100 million in revenue. Like we have to find a way to stay afloat or grow. And um, so I, I, I see now the landscape from small to mid-sized businesses really starting to change and virtual has had a huge impact on that. Absolutely. And I think the mids are still, I mean, you can't cry tears for somebody making a hundred million dollars, but you also understand where they are in the ecosystem, right? Like those poor guys are just trying to, trying to get it through, trying to figure out if I'm going to sell off like immediately, if I'm going to collect, you know, if I'm going to combine with somebody else, if I'm going to become the platform play to get to the billion dollars, it used to be a hundred million dollars was like the big deal, right? Like, yay, go you, you made a hundred million. I think we've all upped our game to, and our expectations, like you've got to be a billion dollars to actually play competitively in this space. And so that mid tier market, which could be as, as small as 40, 45 million competing all the way, like you're, you know, you're, you're not as resourced. In theory, and I hate this word because it's so overly used in our industry, but in theory, you're more agile. In theory, you can actually get stuff done because there is a time and a place where I know, I know, I hate it too, but I mean, it's it's the right world. Yeah. There is a time and a place where you become so freaking big that you can't move that carrier ship, right? Like, and it's just like, it's, it's interesting to see what the big guys are going to continue to do. Um, they've gobbled up a lot of folks in the, in the space over the past couple of years, and so I wouldn't be surprised if in a couple of years we're going to start seeing, like, I'm going to diverse, divest of certain um, key areas because I thought it was going to work. It didn't. Time to cry, uncle. Let it go. Right? Like, you can't continue to grow, 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 grow and bloat, bloat, bloat um, because there's no way that you're streamlined. There's no way that you're going to keep up with the competition. So, but we're now talking about companies in the billion dollar range, no right. longer as, as, we're taking that for granted is that's aspirational and that's what all the platform plays are. We're also seeing a ton more private equity in the space, right? Like we're just PE, about to go like, there. Hello. Yeah. Like, Hey PE, we exist. And they're like, Hey, I like those. So there, I mean, they just kind of came on to, I mean, there were some well-established players, but I mean, we're starting to see a lot more PE firms and we're like, where do they come out of? So yep. also an interesting, I think that'll be interesting to see how that works out for them. I agree. Katie, in your past life and dealing in the finance world, did you see a lot of PE activity in the small to mid-sized market kind of flourishing through uh, or pushing through before you went live with GovMates 100%? I mean, we I, I saw a fair amount of private equity activity, but I, but I would say it was the same kind of usual players who knew the space well. What's changed over the last five years, I would say, is the entrance of new funds, or I would say funds who are new to the federal space who may now have one or two properties that are in federal contracting. Um, and they still may not understand the federal space fairly, very well. Um, so new entrants who are new to the federal space is I would say the biggest thing that we've seen. Um, on top of that, you're now seeing existing funds raise, raise even more capital, right? And have a lot more dry powder to deploy. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of money sloshing around out there, frankly. Um, a lot of dollars chasing fewer and fewer targets, given that a lot of acquisition has already happened up to this point. Um, you have the emergence of new kind of mid-tier players that are private equity backed, to Stephanie's point, that are in theory more agile. Um, but 
when we first started GovMate, so many of our teaming requests were from the traditional large systems integrators and defense prime. So think the household names that your parents would recognize, right? Um, and now we're starting to see not only those continuing to come to us, but more of those mid-tier players, names that literally maybe didn't exist a decade ago, um, who are very active and engaging with the small business community. So we actually love supporting those types of organizations um, because they do seem, um, in some cases, a bit more small business friendly and able to move more quickly from a, a teaming and procurement perspective. To be clear, we support all we support all players in, in the federal ecosystem, um, but the emergence of what I would coin as like the new mid-tier um, is, is very relevant now. I was going to say, they move faster. They're picking up the pace. And that's interesting because, you know, do you think these PEs, even the new ones, not the well-established ones, like the newer ones making these investments that you had said, do you think some of them are moving faster because they have analysts that came from legacy contracting, like the, some of the bigger houses, and they saw areas where they could improve or move faster or maybe deploy money smarter? I mean, potentially some of these funds, if you, the newer funds, if you look at the founders, they came from larger organizations that, that have the background, right? Um, but then you also have uh, shops where, I mean, frankly, the funds have been around for a while. Uh, maybe they're smaller uh, family office type of structures and they're just looking for a place to deploy capital. And it may seem that the federal space is safe, right? Because the, the government is the biggest customer, right? So what, what could go wrong? In reality, we speak in acronyms and we, we count, you know, no doubt. So we are, our time frame is very different than the commercial world. So it is very much a different world. Um, and it's a, as you know, Jim, it can be a very small incestuous community at times, um, but it's interesting to see um, these new entrants and how they play in the space relative to folks who know the space cold. So um, it, it, there are some funds who we we all know them, right, who continue to build and to raise capital and have had incredible success in the space. And their portfolio companies are doing really cool, meaningful things. Um, it still remains to be seen what happens with all of the capital that is still lingering, right? And how that is deployed and where it goes to. Um, whether it's in the small business community, consolidating smalls into more of kind of a mid-tier or whether it's put to work and, you know, you see some of these mid-tiers shift more into the behemoth category and become truly large businesses. Um, we'll see. Yeah. And I think, Stephanie, that moves to your point earlier where, maybe there's a redeployment of capital from these large entities, like the super primes, right? Like the massive companies. Yeah. We've seen maybe this is a trend. They're starting their own equity funds. Oh yeah. Right. So you see that the huge names they're going out and they're just like, yeah, we're going to gobble up X, Y, Z. Cause we know we can do the work, but we can't label them us. Right. And we'll, exactly. we'll nurture them. We'll help them grow, but it, we'll help it's, them grow until uh, we buy them. Yes. That's exactly right. You know? And I think we saw that for a while. We saw that with the, like, Alaska native owns, right? We saw that. Let's just call it what it is. Like they'd grow their own and then they became acquired entities after they did a hundred million or whatever it was. And it's not a bad business plan, right? It's it's not, it's not a bad move, especially if you know the space. I think that what happened is we're seeing a lot more, as Katie said, 
a lot more people jumping in, um, probably because they look at our industry and, you know, we wrote out COVID, right? Like we're okay. We're all good. All of you got your money. We all did our things. Our contracts are still flowing. Like, yes, there was, you know, everybody was impacted and not at all downplaying that, but I'm saying as an industry, government contracting has remained strong throughout the last three years. And 100%. the perception is that we will always remain, you know, that we are strong and that all the things um, it's all perception. We all know this, um, but that's where you want your money go um, because you think that there's less risk. You look at the, on a global front, you're looking at the stocks, you're looking at the, you know, all, all the things that impact all the things. And you're kind of like, Hey, government contracting seems like a safe bet. Potentially. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's brutal. Like you said, the, the buy-in's not easy. It is a hustle, man. It's a grind. Katie said it perfectly. It's super incestuous, super tight-knit. You know, people only help out their friends or family members, or whatever it is. But the one thing I saw that really took over was the level of ingenuity that the smalls had to start to employ. They really had yeah. to go out and get creative, especially using virtual. Um, and then we saw all this like retroactivity from agencies like the DOL. And we saw all these compliance things tick way up. The DOL recuperated over $3 billion last year in fines and penalties. And the majority of it, they took from small business. And, and, and you look at it like, wait, how could you do this during COVID? Oh, you took advantage of or took target of the entities that couldn't fight back, right? You don't see big names on these because they have all the resources. They could do, like you said, all the things right, and they can stave off these activities but then they also said, by the way, you have to stay really competitive with your benefits because now there's a war on talent. And right. it became like this further squeezing of the small businesses. That's my biggest problem or my biggest concern for our industry is how the heck are we going to hire people in this place? And what are we doing? Like I, I, we're making it harder and harder for any commercial company to even consider getting into the federal market. Um, the, the perception of the stability in the long-term contracts, I mean, we're putting more and more regulations in that make it harder. We're also holding ourselves and we love it when it works for us and we hate it when it doesn't. We love a nice five-year contract with a, a steady flow, right? But you are locked into those rates and those rates are not really escalating because the government's got the same issues you do and no one's got enough budget. Yep. But now I have to hire people. I have to pay these people. I, my French rate's going through the roof. I cannot find people who want to work for me at whatever clearance level that I need, God forbid, in the office doing mm -hmm. cool, innovative things that aren't really happening. You know, like it becomes really, really hard. And this is the struggle that so many small businesses and even large businesses, so many in our industry, this is across the board, are going to struggle with the next couple of years. It is hard to get people to want to jump into the fray that is government contracting. And the more yeah. restrictive we are and the more things that we do to make it harder and harder, we're not helping the small business community and we're not helping the government solve its problems. Because Katie and I believe so strongly that, I mean, we really believe in our small businesses and that's where creativity is. That's where, and again, overused word, but innovation, like we're doing good stuff. And our mission in life is to give them a platform so that people get visibility, that they are, you know, putting together competent teams to solve the government's problems. And we have plenty of problems. What we don't, what we lack for is really cool, innovative companies that can do the things that they need to within the regulations and within the rates. And then not be stifled by like retroactivity, like, oh, 
that mod should have been applied two years ago and you have to go back and do all your rates again. All the, all, all the things, right? Like all the government-y things that we all have kind of know and hate, I guess. But they, but, you're right. Yeah. They steer people away from wanting to do business in the government space. And they're they're the companies that should be doing business. Exactly. Help the government. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, it's not just, you know, they're, they're throughout the nation. We have great companies doing really cool things that would really help our, our federal company, our, our federal government. And I want to see more of those enter into the fray. Absolutely. And you both remember sequestration, right? And you remember how hard it was. I mean. OMG, right? Yeah. Right. And then, and then you start to see all these signs, tough labor market, inflation, blah, blah, blah. Government's working on, you know, a budget, right? Or maybe a, a floating budget. Um, all these bad memories start coming back in the space. Now you remember, you're like, oh, this is why it's not easy. <laughs> but, in, in the, in, but then again, you scare away the really smart companies that could provide a solution because they're like, I'm not dealing with that. You're going to lock no. down my rates to create an AI system that could fix the IRS, right? Like, or whatever it is, they're, they're not going to get involved. No, not when I can sell it faster on the commercial market. I can sell it in 30 days. I can get cash flow immediately. I can do, I can really stay on top of the technology and hire p people at the rates that I want to. That's right. So yeah, that's what you're competing with. Yeah. Um, the other side of it, and I know we're wrapping up here is the government and their drain, right? Like how many people have said, you know what, I'm retiring and like getting more people to actually want to like, Yep. We still need government people. That's right. <laughs> it is inherently a government function. We need people to do the jobs because that's who gives us the contracts and that's who we support. And so we can't, and I know the government's talked about this for like 20 some years, but I'm like, it's really getting bad, y'all. How are you recruiting people to come work for the government and making it a culture and an environment that people want to work in? Yeah. Um, another really big challenge that... You know, I haven't seen really cohesiveness around a solution or a set of solutions. And that that hurts industry. I mean, like yep. you need people to move process the mods, do the stuff, let the contract, do source selection, and you've got a lot of people getting out of government. So it's a challenge on all sides. Definitely not easy. I think if you listen to this, you're kind of like, okay, why would I get in here? <laughs> Because you guys are both really smart and you can help them out. But uh, one thing I wanted to touch on before we jump off is OTAs, right? This is like something that's been talked about. You both have talked about it extensively. I know nothing, right? So if I'm coming from scratch and I hear OTA and I'm in a government contractor, talk to me about it. Tell me about OTAs and why, why they're kind of the thing to talk about right now. Where to start? I think it's a definitely a buzzword, right? And it's been popular of late. But what people don't recognize is this is not a new thing. It's just, you know how you rediscover something? Like, we never got so nostalgic for a churro taco until it was no longer around, right? Like, people are like, oh, this OTA thing. I'm like, yeah, built by NASA starting, what, Katie, 1960s? 1958. Not a weird thing. Actually, totally, you know, there's this like, kind of thing. It's like, we've been using it. The government can very much execute um, and, and do a good job on them. Katie, do you want to give a quick, you know, like who who would be the right person to listen to and participate in OTAs? Yeah, so OTAs, they're essentially a non-traditional procurement vehicle that the government can use to gain access to what I would say are innovative technologies or solutions from industry. So 
you know, an OTA is best defined by what it is not. It is technically not a procurement uh, contract. It is not a cooperative agreement. It is an instrument that the government can leverage to transact quickly with an organization, um, typically a small business or non-traditional defense contractor to get them on, to get them to produce quickly, um, either usually for prototyping or for R&D needs. Um, there's 11 federal agencies that have this OT authority, other transaction authority, um, DOD being one, but other organizations like NASA, like Stephanie had mentioned, um, or HHS. And I think some great examples of OTs in use uh, during COVID prototyping of the vaccines. Um, many of those vaccines were a result of OTAs. It was an OT award to those vaccine companies to prototype, to prototype and develop um, the end vaccine product. So you can be thankful that we have this mechanism in place because God forbid, if we had waited on the FAR-based regulations. Right, can you imagine the sources thought for this? We didn't have vaccines yet. They, we'd still be we'd sitting still here. Be sitting here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's for when the government needs to gain access to innovative technologies or solutions in a very rapid manner, an OTA can be a solution for that. Um, we, we love OTAs because they truly benefit the non-traditional and small business community, right? Because it's all about speed. Um, so we've seen small businesses and non-traditionals get on contract in a very short period of time. Um, I'm talking 30, 60 day timeframe from being able to respond to an RFP to having a signed agreement to, all right, let's start work. Let's start prototyping. Um, and that's really what we need, right? Especially when you're considering a lot of the the kind of tip of the spear aspects of government and where we are going up against geopolitical rivals like China and Russia, like they don't have the FAR, right? Um, they also don't have ethics. Um, but they, um, they, it's about making sure we can compete with, with entities like that. Um, and so sometimes our, our biggest enemy is our own internal bureaucracy. And OTAs are a way to kind of cut through that red tape that would typically exist to enable the innovators to get to work. Um, and so our, our current work right now is we're supporting uh, a few dozen OTA consortium managed programs um, where there are literally thousands of very innovative organizations, a significant, significant majority of whom are small and non-traditional, um, but they're doing really cool things. And not all of them are, uh, not all of them know the federal space as well as, you know, the typical Beltway Bandit GovCons. Some of them may be in Austin or Silicon Valley, and they dabble in the commercial world, but are exploring now the federal space, right? Um, so it's cool to see people with diff with diversity of thought and unique approaches to solutions that are starting to segue into the federal space. And I can chalk up a lot of that to OTAs um, and enabling the government to transact with organizations like these. That's huge. That's huge. So I'm glad I asked because governments can help with that, right? So you can help find the people and make, match them up. Exactly. If you're doing anything associated with, you know, research, development, innovation, any of the cool stuff, right? Like if you're doing just kind of 
custodial support or something, it's not the right play for you. So don't waste your time and energy. Focus on other things. Like we're a huge believer in do what works for your business. But if you are in this space, absolutely. And reach out to us and we're happy to kind of steer you in the right direction and give you a couple options of what we've seen and some OT consortia that might make sense for you to join. Also, our best advice, don't join all of them. Join one or two, spend some actual time on it, develop the relationships, get the battle rhythm of how they work, um, and then expand it from there. Because it can definitely be, you know, a game changer in some of our companies. And Stephanie, to clarify, you're talking about OTA consortia, of which there's about 30, at this point in time, there's about 34 active OTA consortia. Yes. Um, They are stood up based upon specific technology verticals, usually around a specific customer. So uh, what Stephanie's saying is don't join all 34 pick one or two that are within your swim lane um, and and be disciplined about following kind of the cadence of RPPs that they let out, attending their industry days, engaging with other members of those consortia and collaborating with them, be they on OT opportunities or FAR-based opportunities. Um, but I those are, in, uh, one of, in my opinion, one of the best kept secrets in GovCon is the OTA consortium model, right? The fact that you can find new opportunities within these consortia, that's not advertised on SAM.gov. Exactly. Well, this is why I wanted to have you ladies on. I mean, plain and simple, nobody else talks about this. Candidly, you can go on LinkedIn, people promise, you know, promise all their stuff, right? And they pummel the internet with their marketing material, but nobody's talking about, hey, this is how you really can get ahead. If you're doing cool and innovative stuff, like Katie said, there's 34 consortia out there. Yeah. Which one was right for you? And how can you get your solution to the government that desperately needs it now? Right. And that's um, another reason to reach out to you ladies. Um, but I know we're up on time here. I really appreciate it. I'd like to do this again. I think there's probably a ton of things that we can talk to. And I'm, I, I know the industry is like, wait, Stephanie didn't even curse. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I really appreciate it. Tired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But getting, yeah. Yeah. I'm about to say exhausted. Um, but I loved it. I hope you ladies got something out of it. I'd love to do it again. Um, but, you know, just keep kicking ass and any way that we can uh, connect live when I'm back in DC area, love to see you again and, you know, see how we can work together. Exactly. Thank you so much for having us. I really appreciate it. If anyone it. is interested, by all means, reach out to us via email or on LinkedIn. You know how to find us. Yeah, and we're going to pub you guys like crazy on once this is published and then you obviously LinkedIn and all the other stuff. So um, cool. anybody that's worked with you in the past knows it's solid. Anybody that hasn't worked with you and yet will know it's solid. So looking forward to seeing the GovMates continue to skyrocket and move forward. Thanks. You bet. Thanks so much.